Amen. I want you to notice what it says in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I want you to notice that term there. He said he uh, begot us again unto a lively hope. Okay, what does that mean? All right, what does it mean a lively hope. We talk about hope a lot. You know, there's a lot of things that we hope for, uh, a lot of things that we hope we'll see one of these days. And then there's a hope too, you know, there's a more sure hope. You know, we have the blessed hope that Jesus Christ is going to return one of these days. But this term that he mentions here, a lively hope. I, I believe there, that it's very interesting how he used that term lively hope. And he says, we have this lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, what is he talking about? What does it mean, a lively hope there? Well, I want to show you a few things from the Scripture. We're actually going to go back and we are going to look at one of the Old Testament feasts, the Feast of Firstfruits that they used to celebrate, because a lot of those, those Old Testament feasts, many of those things pointed to the Jesus Christ's first coming and His death and His resurrection. And I believe there's some interesting things we learn about that Feast of Firstfruits that helps us understand this whole idea of a lively hope that I, I, I think it encourages me and I hope it will encourage you. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, He mentions that here and that's what we're celebrating today. We believe that Jesus Christ, He literally died and He literally rose from the dead. He did not just rise spiritually. He physically rose from the dead. He did not flatline on that cross. He didn't go into a coma. He died. He was dead. And for three days... He was dead, and then he literally rose from the dead. And because that happened, when that event took place, I understand, I think we all know that you know, if it weren't for the resurrection, we'd have no salvation. I think we all know that, but we need to understand, we need to, I want us to kind of put our minds uh, back in the Old Testament. All right? Before a lot of things had been revealed, that have been revealed to us, because there's some things that we sometimes as New Testament Christians, it's like we kind of take for granted. And it's almost like we uh, forget the significance of some of these things. But, this, but this, that event, it was huge for so many reasons. And you know, one thing that's exciting about Easter, too, is we celebrate serving a risen Savior, a living Savior. A lot of religions today were started you know, based on the lives of men who are now dead and still dead. Our Savior, He died, but He came back from the dead. He rose again. And so this, the resurrection of the dead... It's something that God of you know the res, our resurrection that's going to come one of these days. That's something that God had revealed very early on in man's history. But it's very and it's very clear when you study the resurrection and when you study the feast of first fruits. You know God, He's had one plan from the beginning. God has always known that one day He was going to have to send His Son, who was going to have to die for us. And he knew that he would rise again from the dead. And so way back, and because God knew he was going to do all those things, he gave promises about a resurrection for the saints that they knew about way back then, before Jesus had even risen from the dead. And I want to show you a few uh, scriptures about that, because I want us to look at the mindset of Old Testament saints. When we look at the resurrection in the Old Testament, you can kind of see a different mindset that you and I don't have today. 
While they believed in the same resurrection that we believe in, while they looked forward to the same resurrection that we look forward to, there was a difference in how they looked at it that I think is very interesting. Job chapter 19. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. Okay, I know it's kind of in the middle of your Bible, but Job was actually written before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was, it's one of the oldest books written in the Bible. The events that took place in Job happened around, you know, most people believe around the life of Abraham somewhere in there. But look what it says in Job 19.25. Job said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another Though my reins be consumed within me. Job, while he didn't understand a lot, Job knew that he was going to die and he knew his body was going to rot away. He knew that worms were going to eat his body. But yet at the same time, he said, you know what? In my flesh, I'm going to see God. And, not, and whom my eyes shall behold and not another. He's like, I'm not just going to get a different body. Even though our body is going to be changed, God one of these days is going to change this body. You say, well, what if I'm cremated? Well, you know what? I think God can find your ashes and take care of them. All right, God, He knows where everything in this universe comes from Him. You know, God can take care of that stuff. All right, you know, what if that people have been dead for a long time and nothing but dust anymore? God can find them, and God will resurrect them, and He will change their body, and we will be alive one of these days. But when we come back, we're not going to be in this. We won't be sinful anymore. We're going to have a body like Christ. You say, you know, am I going to have these aches and pains and things I have? No, you will not. You will not have those things. You will be like Christ. We won't be sinful anymore. And notice how Job, while he didn't understand everything, while a lot of things hadn't been revealed to him, you know, he didn't have 1 Corinthians 15 like we do, yet by faith, he believed that he was going to rise from the dead himself. And he was going to see his Redeemer. He believed that. In John chapter 11, verse 23, this is when Jesus is at, at Lazarus' funeral, and he's talking to Martha, and Jesus says to her, Thy brother shall rise again. Now, Jesus was talking about that day. Okay? But what does Martha think? Martha said to him, I know he shall rise in the resurrection at the last day. Okay? She didn't think that Jesus was going to raise him from the dead right then. You know, he was already seeing corruption. His body already smelled, yet it Jesus raised him from the dead. And we see, though, notice the mindset these people had. She refers to it as this resurrection of the last day. In the Old Testament, they understood that the resurrection, it was far off. And it was something that they probably, or they not probably, they knew that they were going to die. They knew they were going to rise from the dead. The difference today, in the, since Jesus has risen from the dead, we kind of see a different mindset from guys like the Apostle Paul, when he was talking about the rapture or the resurrection in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, he said, Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them, referring to the dead in Christ, with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, the Apostle John, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, he said, He which testified these things said, Surely I come quickly, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We see this attitude they had. They were ready for Jesus Christ to come. We see an attitude that they had that, you know what? We might be alive for the resurrection. We might not have to die. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we shall not all sleep. 
but we shall all be changed. Okay? Some of us just might, we don't know it, we might live until that resurrection. And, and you know, the fact that these guys mention these things, it doesn't believe that they, obviously, they weren't saying it could happen in their day, or they, that it was going to happen in their day, because of the fact it did, did it. But yet they had that attitude, you know, that they, if the events of the end times were to kick off, we could live to see these things. They didn't have that mindset in the Old Testament. Even though they believed in a resurrection of the future, we see a change in how they looked at it. Now they had this attitude, we actually might see it. We actually might be alive for that. If certain events were to kick off in our lifetime, we could see these things. That was the attitude that they had. They weren't teaching an imminent rapture or anything like that, but they were teaching that, you know what? We could be alive when that, when that day comes. And so, you know, the, and, and the Old Testament saints, don't get me wrong, I believe they believed in the resurrection just as much as we do. But their focus was a little different because, you know, now we are literally anticipating it. You know, we're waiting for it. We're watching for it. And therefore, we have a more lively hope. Okay? And I'm going to show you even deeper what that means from the Feast of first fruits. okay? So, you know, once again, the Old Testament saints, they had a hope of the resurrection, but our hope is clearly greater today because of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Okay? He, he is proof that, you know what, the dead can rise again. We believe it's Him that's going to bring us back from the dead. And you know what, while they believed that back then, it's even easier for us to believe today because of the fact Jesus proved that He can do that when He raised Himself from the dead. The very fact that we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is proof, and it's illustrated, I believe, in the Feast of First Fruits. Go to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 9. Now, when, we go, when you go back and you're reading some of these stories in the Bible, you know, sometimes it's easy to just kind of get bored uh, while they're going into all these details. But when you study these things, there are some interesting things for us to see that I think can be very encouraging for us. And while most of us in here today probably aren't farmers, you know, some of us, uh, some of you might have gardens and things like that. But I think there's things that we can all relate to in this. So look at uh, Leviticus 23, verse 9. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, ye shall reap the harvest thereof. Then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest." And he shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer it that day when you wave the sheep. And, uh, and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil. An offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of an hen. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And then he goes on and then he tells them about the next feast that's going to come 50 days later. That feast of the uh, Pentecost is what it was known as. Or the feast of weeks is what it's often called. But I want you to notice in here, so it's the feast of first fruits, alright? So farmers... You know, whenever they, uh, you know, they be planting their fields and they plant their crops and things, that first fruit that they would get from that, you know, they would go and they would take that and they would give it as an offering to the priest. 
And then, and it was almost that offering that they did, they did, that first fruit offering. It was not a big offering. It was the first fruit that they saw. But you know what it was? Whatever, that, what, kind of what it symbolized, when they would take that fruit, all right, whether it be just maybe one ear of corn or something, not a big deal, right? But they would take that, and it was kind of like a pledge that, you know what? When the big harvest comes, I'll be bringing the big offering. Okay? And so it was kind of like, uh, you know, like a promise. Kind of like, uh, you could say, an earnest payment that they, that they would do. Just showing that, hey, I'm doing the first part. I'll do the big part later. And you understand, that's what Jesus did. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. We'll see some scripture on that. And when he came and he offered himself to God in heaven as a first fruit offering, that was a promise to God that, you know what, I'm bringing the big harvest later, which is, guess who? That's you and I at the resurrection. And the very fact that he did the first part, that tells us, you know what, he's going to do the second part too. We can count on it. We have a more lively hope because of the fact he did. He gave that first fruit offering. It's like, so these, you know, the farmers, okay, you know, when they, when they plant, they plant in, the, in hope, right? They put that seed in the ground and they do, they have that hope that it's going to produce fruit. And it's got to be exciting when you go and you plant that seed and you wait, you wait, you wait, expecting fruit the whole time, expecting the big harvest the whole time. But you understand that as time goes on, their hope grows, doesn't it? As they see the stalks start to grow. Of course, you know, we're used to corn out here. That's all, that's all we see. All right, but you, know, we, you see that stalk start growing. And then as those years of corn start to come out, and then as you see that first ripe one, when you see that, it just it strengthens your hope that, you know what, this is going to be a good crop. We're actually going to get to, we're going to, get to produce something. And the, ho- the hope, it ends up growing and so in that feast of first fruit, they're bringing that very first sheep. And they would, they would give that to the priest. And an interesting thing, too, that it mentions in there, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16. We see in verse 11, I mentioned this, it says, Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, ye shall number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. When they would bring that big offering, they would bring that offering the day after the Sabbath. They would bring it on Sunday, and it's kind of interesting because in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, um, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. We see how he mentioned doing the offerings on the first day of the week. And isn't that when we tend to do offerings? On Sundays on the first day of the week, kind of get that from what the Apostle Paul said there in verse 16. He got that whole concept from the Feast, the feast of Pentecost way back in the Old Testament. Just kind of a, you know, an interesting side note right there, I think. But God was establishing then too with that Feast of first fruits, that principle that the first fruits of everything belong to Him. First, uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. Oh, lost, lost my spot. I'm going to have to turn over to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. I thought I had it in my notes, but I didn't. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits 
of all thine increase. We do see a principle in the Bible that, you know, we ought to give God the first. We ought to give God the best. We ought to give Him the first fruits of everything. That's a, uh, and so you'll see that term first fruits a lot in the, on the Old Testament referring to that. Giving God the first part of everything. And so the first fruit offering, it was exciting because, look, like all summer long they had been hoping for a harvest. And when they would see that first fruit, it would cause a lively hope. Okay, so to illustrate something in my own personal life, what this reminds me of, I remember back in, I think it was in February or March of 2011 when we decided that we were going to start this church. We decided in February or March of 2011 that we were going to start a church in the Sterling Rock Falls area and we were going to start it in September. Okay, we had a date, we had an area, and we believed that God was going to do something. I felt like that was what the Lord wanted me to do. And I remember I got excited. You know what? I had a, I had a hope that a church was going to get going in the Sterling Rock Falls area. But you know what? While I had that hope and while I believed God was going to do something, as time, you know, at, at first we didn't know where we were going to meet. We didn't know anybody here in town. And so while I knew God was going to work things out, I didn't know how he was going to work things out. And I'll never forget when we things finally started coming together. I remember when we got the building. I think we got the building in July. And guess what? When all of a sudden we now had a building and a location, my hope that I had, while it was still in the exact same thing I originally had hope in, let's just say it was a little more of a lively hope then, wasn't it? Because it was like, hey, God gave us a location. You know what? I still don't know any people in Rock Falls yet. But you know what? If he gave us the building... I'll bet he's going to give us the people too. And so I remember a little while later, we started knocking the doors. And I remember knocking the doors and, you know, we didn't know anybody. We're knocking the doors with strangers. And I remember it was Sunday afternoon. I'll never forget it. It was Sunday afternoon. We had spent like a whole Saturday out knocking doors. I'm laying on the couch taking a nap and I get a phone call. Somebody woke me up. Brother Gene Garmer wakes me up from my nap. But you know what? I wasn't mad because he introduced himself and he's like all excited about our church and said, I'm going to be there. I'm going to come at first service. And man, you know what? All of a sudden, my hope got a little more lively because, hey, God gave us the building. And you know what? We've got at least one person that's going to be coming. You know, we've got at least one person that's coming. Somebody from the town is actually called and, and understand my hope has still not changed, okay? My hope is still in the same thing that God's going to get a church going in the Stony Rock Falls area, but it's a more lively hope because we're getting to the next stages of this. The things that I knew God was going to do while the full thing had not come yet, some of, those, some of these things are happening, just making my hope greater. I mean, I'm a little more excited. There's a little less worry. You know, there's a little less, you know, I, you know there's, there's less doubt coming. And then, of course, as time went on, you know, we're, we're knocking on doors and, you know, and we're starting to get, we call it our sweetheart list of people who said they were going to come. And I remember doing the follow-up visits with them because, you know, everybody says they're going to come, but you don't really think they are, you know. And, then, and I remember just one of them next day, man, how many people are going to come? I remember stopping by Ms. Hazel's house. And uh, talking talk to her, and she's like, yep, yep, no, we got you. We're, we're going to be there tomorrow. My sister's coming. You know, my, yeah, my, my brother and sister-in-law, I mean, all three of them are still here too. And we're, we're, we're going to be there. And I'm like, wow, I think people are actually going to come, you know. And guess what? The hope became a little more lively. You know why? Because we're kind of getting to the next stages of things. And then sure enough, we had a great turnout that first Sunday, you know. And, and I, but, you know, then 
I remember I was scared to death about the next Sunday. I was like, well, is anybody going to come back? You know, now they've been here, now they've heard me preach. We had a lot of people here helping, so our numbers really inflated that day. But, uh, you know, people came back the next week. And, you know, it was, you know, and it was exciting. But understand, what I originally hoped for, it happened. It came to pass, didn't it? But my hope became a more lively hope as time went on. And as God started doing the first parts, because like, if he's doing this part, he's probably going to do the next part too. And it makes the hope an even greater hope. And you understand that God had promised way back then that he was going to raise people from the dead. I mean, imagine what it was probably like for Adam and Eve who had never seen a person die before when their son Abel died. I don't know when the, uh, you know, who the first person was that God revealed the resurrection to. I'm not sure about that. I'm not even positive the first place you can say in the Bible where it's clearly referenced. I'd have to look that up. But understand that that had to be a discouraging thing for them. And then and all of these people too, they don't have the full Bible like we do. They all had to be wondering, you know, so what happens? We notice this thing where people stop breathing. You know, what did they do with Abel after he died, you know, did they know that his corpse was going to rot? I mean, think about that the first time. I don't know if anybody ever thinks of these things besides me. But, you know, they probably figure out, hey, we've got to bury these bodies because they start to smell. They start to deteriorate. They're not going to wake up. And that had to be said. We're used to it. Okay? We're used to it today. But, but at the same time, they, they had to be wondering, am I ever going to see them again? They love their family as much as we love our family. They didn't have 1 Thessalonians 4 back then, like we do. But obviously, God did reveal some things because people like Job, he knew that he was going to rise again. And that had to be something that was so foreign. We see even in Jesus' time, we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees that would come, and you had the Pharisees that believed in a resurrection, but the Sadducees, they didn't. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in a spirit. So you had people that were even in doubt about it back then. That had to have been a, a very discouraging thing. And so here they are. You've got people who, while many did believe in the resurrection, some they did not believe in a resurrection. And even if you did believe in a resurrection, I think Job believed it as much as anybody could believe in it. Notice how after Jesus Christ rises from the dead, okay, the Bible mentions that we have a lively hope because of that. Because right there, that just... that. Gives, that leaves us no reason to doubt that God will raise us from the dead one of these days. Look at a few more scriptures here. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we look, let's look at some New Testament verses where it uses this term, uh, first fruits. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so uh, in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he hath delivered up the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So notice how it mentions Jesus Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. He was the first one 
to rise from the dead, not just like Lazarus did, okay? Because there's a difference. Jesus wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. Remember the story in the Bible of, with Elisha after he was dead? They threw a dead body down, touched his bones, and that guy came back to life. Well, Jesus, while he was on earth, he raised several people from the dead, didn't he? But guess what happened to every one of those people Jesus raised from the dead? They died again later. What's the difference? Okay, Jesus is the first begotten from the dead. Because here's the difference. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he rose to immortality to never die again. Jesus Christ is still living today. Everyone else who has ever risen from the dead, they died again later. Except for Jesus Christ. And, because, and so he is the first one. He is the first fruits of them that slept. And I believe when the Bible mentions that there in 1 Corinthians, it's supposed to take us back to that feast of first fruits. Because that is that first offering they would bring. That was the promise. I'm going to bring the big offering later at the big harvest. And if you look at those spring feasts that we read about in the Old Testament, those all represent that first coming of Christ. But the fall feast. They represent the second coming of Christ. And that's when the resurrection takes place when Jesus Christ comes back. And so today we see these references to the first fruits of them that slept. When it talks about our lively hope, this hope we have is because of the fact that God did the first part. He's going to do the next part. Look what it says in uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You know, when is Jesus Christ going to come? Well, you know, he's going to come when the time is fully ripe. You know, that's when they do the big harvest. When it's all fully ripe. When is that going to be? I have no idea. I have no idea, but it, it's going to happen. But Romans 8, uh, verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So notice that this hope that it's talking about is specifically what uh, the Bible calls the blessed hope. When Jesus Christ returns, our body is going to be changed into one like his glorious body. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. The Bible teaches that when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And right now we have a corruptible body that is very prone to sin. I mean, you just try it. You, you try to have, just go for it. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I challenge you to have a perfect day tomorrow. See how long you make it. All right? And no matter how bad you want it, no matter how bad you try, your flesh isn't going to let you have a perfect day tomorrow because your flesh is vile and wicked and it's corruptible. You know, we get tired of pains. Talking to some folks today in church this morning, you know, you start getting older and you have those aches and pains and things, all right? It's a part of a corruptible body that we have. And it stinks. You know, no pill in the world can fix that. 
And it's, and it's coming for all of us. One of these days, unless I die before that time comes, you know, I, I will be that person too. And so that, you know, we do, we, we groan for that. We want to have that body that doesn't sin. We want to have that body that doesn't suffer and have pain. And you know, but you know what? It's something that we have right now. We just have the hope of that. But understand it's a lively hope. You know why? Because while I haven't got that glorified body yet, while I haven't got that body that's like Christ, you know what? He has given me the first fruits. He's given me the Holy Spirit. I've got the first part of it. Okay? And understand, when you get the first part of salvation, you're going to get the whole package. There's nothing that can stop that. There's nothing that can change that. Okay? Well, what if you give the first fruit offering in your farm and then, you know... You get a fire and it burns up your crops. You know, you lied, right? You know, well, listen, I, I know in Little House in the Prairie, they always lose their crops every year, okay? But understand that with Christ is not going to lose His, okay? And we are that first fruit. And if He gave you the Holy Spirit, okay? When you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the full package one of these days. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we're going to be like Him. Okay? You know, behold, now is our salvation near the one we believe. What does that say? Does it say I'm not saved yet? Well, you're not saved physically yet. But you know what? When you believe, you got the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. So there is no reason for you to doubt that one of these days, you're going to be like Christ. You have no reason to doubt that. God gave you the first part. He gave you the first fruits. He's going to come through with the bigger offering later. That is going to come. We have no reason at all to doubt that. And so what are we doing right now? Well, then do we with patience wait for it? I'm waiting for it. Some of you might be waiting right now and you might be feeling the aches and pains. And the weight might be hurting some of you more than it is hurting, hurting somebody else. But guess what? You're going to get it one of these days. And if you die and your body goes in the grave and, it, and your body rots away and deteriorates, you know what? You're still going to get it. You're going to rise from the dead one of these days. And you can be rest assured of that because Jesus raised himself from the dead. He did the first part. He offered himself to God. He was the first fruits. And you know what? He's going to raise you from the dead one of these days. And he is going to present you to the Father faultless. You say, how could he do that? Well, he did it with himself. Well, yeah, but he was perfect. But do you understand that when he died on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took your sin on that cross. He became your sin on that cross. And you know what? He conquered your sin on that cross and even though he took on the sins of the world, Jesus Christ was still able to present himself to the Father without fault. And so he will be able to do it with us, no problem. And it's something that we believe by hope. Okay? We, have, we have the hope of that right now. But understand, it's a very lively hope. It's something we have no reason to doubt that it's going to happen. Everything's coming together. And just like all of you, we've all had things, maybe businesses and things that where you had that hope that something would happen. And when things started coming together, things started falling into place. You ended up getting just exactly what you hoped for. But every time that next step would get completed, you just got a little more excited. And understand that the resurrection of the dead was a huge, huge thing. A huge promise. A huge fulfillment of prophecy. There is no way, there is absolutely no way in the world that God is going to come through on that end and not come through on our end. It would make no sense. He conquered death. The whole purpose of him raising from the dead and conquering death was for us. He did it for us. So why would Jesus raise himself from the dead only to let us stay in the grave? 
That wouldn't make any sense. That, that would be completely pointless. Easter would be completely pointless if that was his plan. But that is not his plan. His plan is to bring us back one of these days and to raise us from the dead. And so we do. We have the first fruits of salvation. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye had believed, were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. That Holy Spirit is like an earnest payment. Here, here's the earnest payment. It shows you I'm serious. It shows you that I'm serious. It's kind of like an engagement ring. All right. If a guy goes and he spends a bunch of money on an engagement ring for a woman, she knows he's probably pretty serious about marrying her. And that's kind of how it was with God, but in a much bigger way. He gave us the Holy Spirit... It's kind of an earnest payment. And hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem you one of these days. And I'm going to claim you for myself. I'm going to bring you with me. And the very fact that we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit should give us no reason to doubt that we're going to get the rest of the package later. So that first fruit offering, or um, you know, it, does, it, was, it was a great, it was a very clear picture of Jesus Christ. And that feast, of, it's a reminder that Jesus keeps His promises. That's what it's all about. He keeps His promises. If God says He's going to do something, He's going to do it to completion. And the fact that He started the work is proof that He will finish it. And it said, Philippians 1.6, being confident in this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When he got saved, he gave you the, or when you got saved, he gave you the Holy Spirit, and that began a work. What is that work? That work is to make you like Christ. Yeah, well, that work's not going so good right now. Well, that's too bad. All right, but at the same time, he's going to finish it one of these days. I hope when he does finish that work, I'd like for there to be as little change to take place as possible. But either way, there's going to be some change that's got to take place. And he began the work, and he will finish that work until the day of Jesus Christ, which just happens to be the day of the rapture or the day of the resurrection. So understand, when the Bible in 1 Peter, he talks about the lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's referring to, the fact that we have the first part. There's no reason to doubt the next part. We will rise again just like Jesus Christ rose again. And so I hope that will be a help to you and an encouragement when you're down. And if you're feeling some aches and pains, one of these days it's going to go away. Uh, you, you can, I can guarantee it. It might not be today, but it's going to happen. And so be excited about that. Be confident and with patience, wait for it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the promises that you've given. We thank you for what you've already done, Lord. We thank you for dying and paying for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for your resurrection that just gives us hope. It gives us that proof, Lord, that one of these days uh, you're going to change our vile bodies. And for it's also just proof to us and that uh, those who've gone on before us, Lord, that it's not over. We're going to see them again. And we thank you for that, dear God. We don't deserve it. I pray if there's one here today that's not saved, that's never trusted you as their Savior, I pray they'll call on you today, Lord, and that they'll, re they'll receive that free gift of salvation, Lord. And I, I thank you for all your blessings. In your name we pray. Amen.